Welcome to Ottawa Valley Vineyard, where we simply want to help you encounter Jesus, be transformed, and share His love. At this stage in our journey through the Lord's Prayer, uh, we're praying, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. When we pray, forgive us our debts, we are making confession. We are expressing our need for forgiveness to God. Uh, we're going to just focus on that part today, our need for confession and our need for give forgiveness. And we'll focus on our need to forgive others in another message. Uh, for now, let's just engage with God's Word. Come bless us as we look at your scriptures, Lord, we pray. Amen. Amen. In our heart of hearts, forgiveness is something that we as humans desperately crave. Uh, the play of the Black Angel, um, written in the late 1970s by Michael Christopher, powerfully portrays that deep human need. It's based on uh, true events and tells the story of a former Nazi general named Engel. At the end of the Second World War, Engel was tried at Nuremberg and sentenced to 30 years in prison for war crimes. After 14 years, he was released early and declared to have paid his debt according to the law. He was trying to make a new life for himself and had moved to an area of France that was fairly secluded and remote. And in the woods, he was trying to build a simple log cabin with his wife. Well, he's trying to move forward with his life. Uh, there was a French journalist by the name of Mariu who just couldn't. Uh, Mariu's family had been massacred by soldiers under Engel's command. He felt that the sentence enacted at Nuremberg was insufficient, and he spent years planning his revenge. Uh, with that in mind, Mariu came to the town and began to rile up the population. He informed these people that a Nazi was in their midst. He stirred them up to uh, fear. He stirred, stirred up their anger. He stirred up their frustration, their hatred, and turned them into a mob and ultimately incited them to begin to plan violence. He did his job well and eventually the townspeople were uh, thinking about and preparing to actually attack Engel and his wife. The afternoon before that attack, Mary Yu had come to a place where he felt like there were unanswered questions uh, about Engel's life that he just had to have answered before Engel was gone. So he marched into the woods and began to do what reporters do and conducted an interview. As Engel told his story, racked by his own guilt and shame, uh, some compassion grew in the reporter's heart. And by the end of the interview, though he couldn't forgive Engel, uh, he was not prepared to see him murdered by the mob that he himself, Mariu, had incited. So knowing that the mob was coming, Mariu warned Engel and his wife and pleaded with them to allow him to help them escape. And as the play goes, he says, come with me, please, I can save you. For a long moment, Engel paused, still bound by shame and guilt, and in pleading tones responded to Mary Yu, saying, I will come with you on one condition. What is that condition, Mary Yu asked? I will come only if you forgive me. Mary Yu's heart exploded. Save you, I will, but forgive you, I cannot. Never, 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 said Mary Yu. And he left. That night the mob came. 
found Mr. and Mrs. Angle sitting passively in their chairs. They burned down the house and riddled the bodies of Mr. and Mrs. Angle with bullets. Forgiveness was something that Angle desperately needed and needed so deeply that he would rather have that than to have his own life. And when we come to a place where we're confronted with our sin and with the darkness of our hearts, we need to know that there is somewhere that we can go to ask for forgiveness. And of course, that person is Jesus. In the Lord's Prayer, when we come to that line, forgive us our debts, it's not just giving us a grab bag line of prayer to sort of cover the bases. It's the part of the prayer a part of that structure that is calling us to times of deep and honest confession. Forgive us our specific debts doesn't mean that God can't forgive us uh, if we don't know how to do this yet, if we don't get all the details right. But it's really hard to learn this, but it means that for us to really grow, it's not enough for us to just acknowledge our sin in general. Uh, and move on with our lives, having checked a box. There's power in specifically articulating and wrestling with our sins before God. First John 1, 8 to 9 says, If we have no sin, we've deceived ourselves. If we say we have no sin, we've deceived ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Admitting the truth about our sins and speaking them out is important. Saying those things are important. So what is confession? What is true confession? I think uh, true confession is marked by three things. First, confession means taking full responsibility for our sins. I'll admit that as a person, and I'll suggest this might be true of you also, so let's just say we, uh, we are very well defended against taking ownership and even sometimes seeing our own sin, dealing with the reality of it. I'm quite conscious of this as I wrestle through some growth in particular area of leadership uh, in, in these moments. Uh, there are areas where I haven't led well because I've had more fear of offending people, uh, more fear of making mistakes than I've had fear of God himself. And there's a great self-centeredness in that that needs to be addressed, especially um, uh, in me as a, as a leader. When I'm confessing, especially early in a growth process like that, I often find myself adding to my confession uh, one very dangerous word, and that's the word but. Have you ever prayed things like this? Lord, if you forgive me for valuing, Lord, forgive me for valuing the approval of people above the approval of yourself. But if I didn't work so hard to keep people happy, we wouldn't even have a church here. Right? So much fear in that. Lord, forgive me for doubting, but I'm really tired and it's hard to keep positive. Lord, forgive me for being critical and judgmental, but didn't you give me this gift of discernment anyway? Lord, forgive me for overeating, but I've been under so much pressure and so much stress. 
we often use confession as a time to explain our sin or make excuses for it than to actually own it. Confession is owning it. Life is very complex. We are often influenced by various factors, by our upbringing, by genetics, by pressure, by circumstances. But the Bible has a very high view of human freedom. It has a very high view of your ability to make choices. These factors influence us, but the Bible still places responsibility for the choices we make in response to those factors directly on our shoulders. I decided. I chose. I determined to do what I did. I am responsible, and I have not confessed until I've actually acknowledged my responsibility. Lord, forgive me for choosing human approval over yours. Period. Lord, forgive me for doubting you. Period. Lord, forgive me for judging. Period. Lord, forgive me for overeating. Period. Until I've said things in that way, I haven't really confessed them. What I'm slowly learning is that there's something extremely powerful in taking responsibility for my choices to sin. When I admit that I have chosen to sin, when I admit that the responsibility is on me, I am also building myself up in the knowledge that by His Holy Spirit, I can choose not to sin. I could have chosen not to do those things. If I admit responsibility, uh, then I am also saying that God has empowered me with an ability and a freedom and a will that can be used and directed according to His purpose. That He has empowered me to do the things that are good and to do the things that are right, to serve Him. The second important thing about the confession of sin is that confession has to be directed towards God. We're responsible to the people that we have hurt and we're responsible for the consequences of sin in our lives. Uh, but true confession is oriented towards God. Have you ever prayed something like, God, I'm so sorry I have sinned. Uh, I never wanted to have uh, the trouble in relationship that I have. God, I'm so sorry I've sinned. I, I never wanted others to see me in that light. Those are all prayers completely oriented around how my sin affects me. I have made myself the victim in these prayers. And it's true, we do suffer the consequences of our sins. But when our confession that is supposed to be towards God is an expression of our own self-pity, we're missing the mark. And I'm, I'm guilty of this all the time. Uh, David uh, understood this a little bit differently. Great King David. In 2 Samuel, we have the story of King David. Uh, he murdered a man named Uriah the Hittite. Uh, David had ordered him to be abandoned in the battlefield. The soldiers were to sort of pull back on command and allow Uriah to be stuck out in the middle of the battle and killed uh, by the enemy. So he engineered the man's death so that David could take his wife from him. It's a long story. It's an amazing story. There's so much that could be preached out of it. It could be a sermon series on his own. But when the prophet Nathan came and outed David for his sin, 
You know, Nathan is clear that David has set events in motion that resulted in the death of a man, human consequence, the misuse of the man's wife, the death of their child, ultimately strife in the kingdom that was going to be uh, a place of pain for years to come. These are all very human types of consequences, but the primary charge that Nathan the prophet leveled against David we see in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 14, and it's this, In this you have utterly scorned the Lord. All the harm that David had done to others was seen by the prophet as disrespect and rejection of God. And when David writes his phenomenally rich and poignant prayer of repentance, and we know that from this Psalm 51 is connected to this story, he says in verse 4, Against you and you only, O God, have I sinned and done evil in your sight. We do harm and we do evil against other people. There are consequences, but we sin against God. When we do evil to others, that evil choice communicates to God that we refuse to be who and what God has intended us to be. Imagine you broke into a man's house and you stole one of the laptops from one of his children's bedrooms. Uh, you've broken down his gate, you've smashed his security camera, uh, you've broken through a window or broken down his door, you've tracked your muddy shoes across the floor, broken a lamp, tied up his dog, you violated the sanctity of his home. You've broken the peace of it and damaged his property. Now would it make sense for you to go and just to offer a new laptop and restitution and an apology to the kid from whom you stole the laptop. It wouldn't make sense at all. You've stolen from the child, but you've broken the holy sanctuary of the Father. We steal life from God's children. We hurt one another all the time. But in that, we have ultimately sinned against the owner of the house. We've sinned against God. When we pray, forgive us our debts, we are acknowledging God's place at the center of the cosmos as the one who has all the power and makes all the rules, as the one who owns the house. The only way for confession to bring us freedom is when we acknowledge that the one who made the rules is the one we need to talk to when we've broken the rules. When we're confessing, confessing our sins against God, to God, we are putting ourselves into a dependent relationship with the only one who can actually set us free. There's value in confessing our sins to one another as well. We'll see that in the book of James, but it has to start with the vertical. It has to start with God. And that leads us to the third uh, important aspect of confession. When we come to God to confess, we must put our trust in His response. It is no confession at all to come to God saying, I'm sorry I've sinned, but by my own works I will make up for what I've done. I'll do better in the future. With sin, your future actions can make a better future, but they cannot make a better past. If we're trying to pay for our sins of the past 
by our own power and under our own initiative, then we're actually not asking for forgiveness. We're just trying to write a new contract that we think we can finally meet. We're writing a new clause into an old contract. Of course, we need to make restitution and do justice on earth, but there is no way to unsin against God. When it comes to our relationship with God, all we can do is simply acknowledge our sin, speak it freely to Him, and trust that He will forgive. All our works are but filthy rags. To confess is to throw yourself completely on the mercy of God without defense. It was our choice to sin. It is His choice to forgive or not. And because of the amazing gospel of Jesus, we have confidence that he forgives. We know through the story of Jesus that through the work of the cross, he has shown not only his intention to forgive, but has accomplished a repayment of that sin. He's paid the price that we never could. He's not just forgotten and thrown it away and pretended it hasn't happened, but he's paid for our sin against him by being the lamb who was taken and slain and killed as a sacrifice for us. We see a beautiful picture of this process of confession and repentance, awareness, forgiveness uh, in the story of Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah has a vision of heaven or he's taken up into it. He beholds God and he, as he is, and he becomes aware that he has just not understood who God is. He has not communicated who God is to the people. Um, he has not understood God. He has not honored him. He has closed his eyes to God. And so, as he sees God who he is, he admits and confesses he's utterly in sin. In Isaiah chapter 6, 5 to 8, he says, And I said, Woe to me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having had his hand, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken from the altar, and he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Confronted with his sin, Isaiah confesses it, and he owns it completely. I am a man of unclean lips. And I come of a people of unclean lips. He is not claiming the heritage of his people, and he is not blaming them. He is just saying, I am standing here before you as a man with unclean lips. He owns it. And then he acknowledges that the holiness of God, it is the beauty of God, the holiness of God, that makes his sin, sin. The reason for all of this is that I have seen the Lord of hosts. And in that space, surrounded by angels and the glory of the throne of God, he knows he is just completely smoked. He is utterly dependent on God's grace 
He is utterly vulnerable and utterly exposed in that space. And this is how God responds. And this is how God responds to us when we expose ourselves and expose our sin and make ourselves utterly dependent in his place. An angel takes a burning coal from the altar and touches Isaiah's lips saying, your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Now a coal from an altar, how are we to understand that? Um, in heaven, in every heavenly image, we see, uh, we see, of course, an altar, and we see an understanding of an altar, uh, sort of in the earthly realm, as a place where sacrifice is made. But in heaven, there is only one sacrifice that is made that has ever been made. John saw it in Revelation chapter 5 verse 6. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne. And this lamb is the same lamb that John the Baptist had recognized on earth in Jesus. Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John 1:29. The coal in Isaiah's encounter symbolizes the sacrifice of Jesus who died on the cross to forgive us for our sin. And so in that moment, Isaiah, utterly dependent on the grace of God, he's redeemed by the sacrifice of that lamb. The lamb who was slain, as we see in Revelation 13:8, before the foundation of the world, the lamb, the sacrifice that was made in heaven before the cosmos exploded into existence. The sacrifice made for us. When we confess our sins, as Isaiah did, taking responsibility for them fully and completely, acknowledging that our sin is against God himself, and that we are standing before him utterly dependent on his grace and not at all dependent on our works. It's in that moment that you and I can have a revelation of forgiveness. That forgiveness was accomplished before the foundation of the world, but when we strip away all of our defenses and all of our excuses and all of our works, we find ourselves able to finally see it, to finally recognize it, and to finally receive it, and to finally be set free. And like Isaiah, we hear then the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And we are set free again and we are commissioned back into ministry and back into the calling that he has for us. As a pastor, I've made a few visits to folks in jail. One of the ministry opportunities I had in college in the States was to visit one of the penitentiaries in that area. Uh, they only show you the darkest part of a penitentiary in movies. Um, uh, I've connected with dangerous offenders a few times, but uh, most encounters have been in safer spots, uh, more like open rooms with inmates mingling with folks, kind of like a church potluck, um, though no bullfruit bulletproof glass or telephones. But one of the most memorable conversations I had in that kind of a context was with a man who had been uh, convicted of involuntary manslaughter. Um, and as we talked, the conversation wasn't going that deep, but it was like there was a moment when the Spirit came and something happened. And he asked me kind of a funny question. He said, can I say something to you 
uh, that I wasn't able to say at my trial. Uh, I have no secrets. I'm guilty and every detail about what I did came out in the trial and the judge knows exactly what happened but the way the lawyers work is they cause other people to let some of your story come out and they uh, don't let you really tell your story because they want it told in a way that blame is shifted here uh, and that there's a reason for this or there's a reason for that and so when I tell my story in court, I actually didn't get to tell the story. I actually didn't get to confess. If I had, I would have had a longer sentence and uh, a stricter charge. And so he told his story to me and it was heartbreaking. It was not pretty. It was, it was really ugly. Um, but as he told it, freedom came on him. As he told the story, uh, a weight was being lifted off his shoulders. Uh, yeah, the story ended with us in deep prayer, proclaiming the forgiveness of God over him. It ended with a big hug that was broken up uh, by one of the guards. But that man walked away not just knowing the Jesus that he knew growing up in church. He walked away knowing Jesus who was truly his savior. Jesus who had truly forgiven him from his sin. It's incredibly painful to come face to face with our own sin. But we just can't keep coming into confession with our inner lawyers speaking in our ears. We have to confess with hearts that fully take responsibility. We have to confess to the judge himself because it's him that we have offended. And we just have to confess throwing ourselves utterly on the mercy of the courts without any of our works in play. And when we do that, we find freedom. When we do that, we will know, you will know in your deepest heart of hearts that by the blood that Jesus shed on the cross, he has forgiven you and he has set you free. Like you, I have so much further to go in this journey. Uh, so much more repentance. So much more grappling with sin. And even though it is... Uh, sometimes results in the most painful moments of your life. I promise those same painful moments of openness and vulnerability and confession will result in light and life and freedom and glory. And that's what your Heavenly Father wants for you. Let's pray. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of Ottawa Valley Vineyard, visit ovv.ca.